0: Heyo, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. This episode, this intro to this episode, no fancy podcast mic, no sound booth. This is yours truly in a car, on the road. But I felt an insane sense of urgency to get this episode out in the world because it's yours truly on book tour with Seth Godin in conversation at the Helen Mills Theater in New York couple hundred amazing lovely souls we all gathered had an amazing conversation between Seth and I and y'all I love this the chemistry the questions the collaboration the co-creating this evening I can't wait to share it with you before we get into the show though just I do have to say if you hadn't heard by now the book has already been a tremendous success hit a bunch of the bestseller lists who would have thought that a a book uh, on creativity would be just so such a barn burner right out of the gates. And you know here's the cool thing. We're just getting started. y'all. I mean, I'm excited about a book launch. It's so fun to put it out there. the big splash, the headlines, all it's awesome, but this is a this is an evergreen universe. this is ju- it's a movement and it's because of you sharing um, your experiences with the book, your beliefs, your values, uh, what you got out of it. It's, it's, um, this is something that, that transcends just a book launch and it's because of you. I'm so, so, so grateful, um, that you're digging into this work and finding value and thank you so much for all the shout outs. I'm trying to share them and reshare them. And, um, I just, I want you to know that it was amazing to connect with those of you that I could on book tour. And for those of you that haven't seen yet, just, I want you to know that there are more dates coming. Um, but in the interim, I'm trying to share some of these conversations, the, the conversations from the stage, from the book tour with you all who couldn't make it. Um, and even those uh, of you that were there, actually a couple of you have pinged me uh, in DM and otherwise and said, hey, I was at the New York event. Did you record it? Yes, I, I recorded it. I'm about to share it with you. Yours truly and Seth, marketing super genius. Author of I think eighteen best-selling books. I don't know. It's an amazing, intimate conversation. Super heartfelt, authentic. We go deep with a handful of uh, of people who are volunteering information from the audience. It's such a heartfelt and earnest conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. And again, I'm so grateful for your support for Creative Calling um, and all the reviews that you're leaving. I just I just want to say thanks. And again, we're just getting started. But speaking of getting started, I'm gonna get out of the way from from my car. I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna have a 10:30 p.m. dinner. I'm going to get out of my own way and get you into this episode. Again, thanks so much for the support. Can't wait for you to uh, share with me what you think about this episode. Yours truly, Seth Godin at the Helen Mills Theater in New York City. You want to start? No. No.
1: <laughs> but I will. Um, please do. work. No, please do. Um, okay, so I want, we're going to talk a little bit about the book, but mostly we're going to talk about our lives as creators because everyone here is a creator. You made some interesting choices because there are a lot of books about creativity. And uh, what I mentioned earlier is that you began your subtitle with Establish a Daily Practice. What does that mean to you?
0: Um, Establish a Daily Practice is to me the foundation of almost everything because how you do anything is how you do everything. And there's, it's, it's a powerful, it's a small, small, small thing, but it's, a, it's the most powerful thing that I know to do something that you love on a regular basis. Um, the, the book actually has sort of three core principles. And when you understand these three core principles, the concept of a daily practice is intuitive to you. The three principles are this. One is that every single person on the planet is creative. Every single person. I'm gonna just test you real quick. Who wants to come to the front of the room and draw me a picture? Okay, this is why I wrote the book. Because if you said that to a first grade classroom, how many hands go up? Every single hand, and I saw four hands. So there's a gap, right? We've trained this stuff out of us. And if you didn't put your hand up, that doesn't mean you're creative. But the principle of the book is that everyone's creative. I, I believe you know that if you don't, this book is for you. If you do, it's a rallying cry for our tribe. Point two is that creativity is a habit, not a skill. It's a muscle. And like any other muscle, think about developing a muscle, what do you do, you exercise it. And in this case, I'd like to turn to Maya Angelou, who I think she's got the best quote on this, which creativity is an infinite resource. The more you use, the more you have. So if you believe one, which everyone's creative, and you believe two, that creativity is a muscle, Then the third principle of the book is this is the Trojan horse, which is it's in creating small things every day with intention. Whether that's building your business, um, working on creating your family, making a meal, baking a cake, any of those things. When you do that on a regular basis daily with intention, what you're actually doing is strengthening the same muscle that you use to create your life. It's just creativity at a different scale. And to me, that's the, the, the big Trojan horse is that this daily practice of creating, in small ways that seem insignificant, taking pictures with your iPhone when you're on a walk between 42nd Street and 29th Street where you work. Just take one or two pictures. When you decide to change the meal just a little bit, put something new in it, because you've made the same you know, pasta sauce you know, for eight years, you do something different there, something in you changed. You do that over and over and over. It's the same muscle that will give you pause to say, wait a minute, am I truly living my highest calling right now? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing with this one precious life? And gives you the power and the agency to change it. So to me, the the daily practice part, I think you you made a funny joke earlier for those who weren't here. He said that the subtitle should be work hard. (laughs) Um, But I, I think establishing a daily practice is probably the most important uh, takeaway from the book. And it doesn't have to be a thing you can check off. I think it is pretty important if you don't currently have a habit to, to create some structure on that, but it's critical.
1: Well said. Well said. Um, a lot of people here are seeking reassurance. What's your take on reassurance and do you want to offer any? <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's a double-edged sword having this guy on stage with you. I'm, just, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'll give you this reassurance. You have all the tools you need. You, you have this little piece of creative plutonium inside of you which can power you for 10 lifetimes. And where we understandably break down is in... All of the inputs, because let's face it, like we we are social animals and we live in a mass culture. So how many inputs do we get every day? From our teacher, our parents, our friends, our peers, our boss, everyone has advice for us, right? And when this advice comes from people that you love and respect and admire, it's really confusing, it gets really hard to hear this calling, this voice that we all have inside of us. So the guidance that I would try and, you know, I think this is a massive subtext of the book is that intuition is such a powerful vehicle for us and yet we're taught to ignore it. To me, this is the calling. The calling isn't necessarily a, you should be a flautist, Chase. It's, it's not, you know, and it does, it, it's never something that's very clear. It's usually a little bit garbled. It's in here, you heard it and then you didn't hear it but it's that thing that tells us what we're supposed to be doing. And what we're sold in our culture is a map. We're sold, here's a red X, and then there's this dotted line, and it goes like this, and it's something like, you go to this school, you get these grades, you get this job, then you get this other job, and then you get a promotion. Oh yeah, you have some kids, then you, like, it's just, it's basically a map, and then at the end is the red X, okay? (laughs) We're sold this over and over and over. And it's, like, it, and it's easy to see once you start looking for it, as I did when I was writing this book, because everyone gives you the roadmap. But you know what? We, we don't actually have a map because is there any instance where that map has been accurate for anyone in this room? Zero times, 0% chance. But what we do have is a compass. And what does a compass do that's different than a map? A compass lays everything out for you. Sorry, a map lays everything out for you. And a compass says, go that way. And you're just following this compass and you go over a hill and then you get to the top of the hill and there's a lake. You're like, okay, do I swim across the lake? Do I go around? There's, it, it doesn't actually care what's in your way. And when you're following that compass, neither do you. Because it doesn't matter. If you're truly following your compass, a.k.a. you're calling and you're on the path that you're supposed to be on, None of that stuff matters. What matters is that you know what north is. And so to me, the macro to your question is to learn to follow that compass is both the most powerful and maybe the most difficult thing. Yep. And when you go to Jobs or you go to uh, Bezos or you go to um, Sagmeister or Sarah Blakely, these people, they know what their compass is and they follow it even when they're wildly misunderstood for long periods of time. That is an amazing an amazing uh, habit, skill, what are you going to talk about?
1: I, wanna... I, I got one more of my three to yeah. get us started, which is talent, skill, gifts. These are tra- tricky words. Mm-hmm. But you and I have both encountered people mm-hmm. who assert that they are skilled artists and they're just not any good at it. Where do, where do we go to, to find out the truth about this?
0: Where do we go to find the truth? Like
1: In the gym, when you were a soccer player, yeah. there were plenty of ways to find out you weren't good at soccer and you had to work harder. Not that you weren't born, no one was born to play soccer. You didn't even know how to walk when you were born. Yeah. You learned and then you got better at it and that's why we have competition in soccer. Sure. There shouldn't be competition in creativity, it doesn't make any sense. Right. But on the other hand, you're just not that good at it, and you need to go back to work. Who should tell us that?
0: Oh, um, oh that's a very tricky question. Do you care to answer it? Because I think you got an answer.
1: <laughs> no, I, I actually I have an answer for a lot of things. I don't have an answer for this one. I just have the question. Yeah. Because most of the people I know, I know tons of people who are, Okay, trapped right, right. by resistance. Yeah. And there are many versions of it. I don't ship. I ship too often. I make projects that are too big or too yeah. small. But one of the big ones is insisting, because sometimes they misunderstand words from people like you, yeah. that they have to keep going down this path because that is their thing. Right. And no one never just said, you know, you, you want to be a baker, you can't bake. <laughs> this is terrible. Like, this is terrible. Or if someone, we, uh, an old friend wrote a novel based on something that really happened to him. So it was a thriller. The problem is, the fact that it really happened to him was thrilling to him. Yeah. But thrillers aren't based on true stories. Yeah. It wasn't that thrilling. Sure. And in addition to not being that thrilling, it wasn't structured properly. It sure. wasn't of the genre. And we had a friend over, and we heard this hysterical laughter in the middle of the night, and we didn't know, he had found this guy's galley and we thought it was a spoof. Right, and the problem was I think his name was Richard. Richard wasted two years of his life without being able to see that he his fly was unzipped. Right, yeah. so we got to figure out how to see if we want to engage
0: with some market. Uh, okay, I get it now. I don't think it's our job to help him see. Well, it's think- someone's job, because otherwise he's just going to be in this purgatory. I isn't think he? I think it's well. He, I think it's Richard's job. Exactly. So who should Richard talk? I think Richard should ask himself the question. I think it's actually two questions and it's a pretty simple framework. I'm gonna reference my friend, Chris Guillebeau. I don't know if you guys know Chris. Mm -hmm. Super great author, wrote $100 Startup, um, a bunch of other cool books. And he has a great litmus test. Do you love it and is it working? And if you ask yourself these two questions in the little two by two matrix, if you love it and it's working, should you keep doing it? If you love it and it's not working, conflict. If you don't love it and it's not working, obvious, right? You don't love it and it's not working. What's the fourth one that I forgot? It's working but you don't love it. It's working but you don't love it. What's the answer there? That's pretty obvious too, because you don't love it. So there's that one quadrant where you love it but it's not working.
1: Exactly.
0: And I don't know if that's Richard. I don't know if that's what's going on with you right now at this moment. I love it but it's not working. To me, that's a very personal decision. That is a... a um... And my argument is decide
1: in advance what the definition of working is. Mm. So what we heard from Nina about her photography is if working means I'm famous and I'm in a museum, then all the time until that's true you have to make this decision. Yep. But if working simply means when I look at it, it looks like I want it to look, yeah. then you're in quadrant one, congratulations. But don't try to make the decision after the fact, because you'll keep rationalizing. Yeah. Decide, and it, like so when I was a book packager and I wanted to be a professional, I said, it's not working if editors aren't buying my books. I'm not allowed to say, they're all stupid. Yeah. I have to figure out why they're not buying my books, because my definition of working is I have to be working for money to make this product and still love it.
0: Your definition. My definition. So I think that's the answer. In
1: any situation, you had to decide beforehand what's working and then go f- figure out from which part of the market you'll learn that.
0: Fair enough. Can I ask you a question now?
1: Yeah, that's why we're here.
0: Okay, cool. So um, when I look at the work that you do, I, I, and I, I think I use this in the book, Um, people ascribe your success to the fact that you have a daily practice that you have written every day on your blog for how long? More
1: than 11 years.
0: Anybody in this room written every day for 11 years? And you wonder what it takes to be great, right? That's pretty powerful medicine. Is that the reason for your greatness?
1: Um. It's a tactic in my presence in the lives of a million people that gives me the opportunity to offer them other things that might help. But the thing that I do that's hard, I started doing long before I had a blog. So um, asking why and showing up long before I was sure something was going to work and
0: go more on that second point
1: well so the i thought it was normal when i was 14 or 15 or 16 to do the kinds of things that i was doing because my parents brainwashed me into thinking it was normal
0: what's the thing so what's the thing
1: i lived in buffalo new york and kissing bridge would sell (laughs) adults the chance to run a little ski club and you needed to have an adult and i was 15 and a half, and I just started a ski club, and I chartered a bus, and it, I made money doing it. I didn't need any money to do it. The students paid to be in my ski club. And, you know, someone sprained their ankle, and the ski patrol brings them down, and they say, well, where's the chaperone and the organizer for this thing? I said, <laughs> me, I'm in 10th grade, <laughs> right? And that's just normal, what the hell? It's not like we, I needed certain kinds of adult magic to be able to do this trick. Yeah. And so it was a series of, the kids in my school needed a ski club and no one else had one, so I started it. And it, you know, making $400 wasn't the point. It was, there's this thing that's broken, how can I sort of fix it? And I just got hooked on that feeling of, well, the the day that I realized I had this thing that other people didn't, is I got my job, sort of by accidental magic, Uh, at this company in Boston. And it was a summer job and they were the inventors of educational computer games. I was the 30th employee and it was a great place for me. And I walk in. There's no voicemail, of course. They had just installed the fax machine that day. And um, they have at the receptionist desk this round plastic thing with 40 slots in it. And you spun it until you saw your name. And then next to your name, were all these uh, pink while you were out notes. So if someone called you during the day and you, they got, so you had to check several times a day. And I walk in the first day and I see this thing and I say to myself, well, I'm gonna be here for 90 days. And I have to check it two or three or four times a day. And it's just, it's not an alphabetical order, you just have to spin and spin and spin until you see your name. So I just reached over to the receptionist desk and took a clip, and I put a paper clip next to my name. <laughs> so then all I'd have to do is spin to the paperclip and get the slips and within three hours, the entire thing was festooned with flags and different (laughs) color paper clips because all these long suffering people had been at the company spinning the damn thing all the time. And it took someone to show up and say, wait, this is broken. I'll just put a paper clip in it. That's my gift. That's what I, that's my muscle is lots of people saw, that it needed a paper clip, but no one else put a paper clip in.
0: So that's actually taking action.
1: Yeah, to make it better. And so my blog is just a cheap way to have a discipline to say, I saw this today, do you think
0: it would be better if you saw it too? So it's like a way to put your muscle on display.
1: Display is the wrong word though, because I would write it anonymously if that yeah. was necessary.
0: Yeah, so it's a way to, to, to hone your muscle? to, continue and to It's
1: an, a way to help this group of people go where we all said we wanted to go.
0: So I'm going to reference a, a friend of mine and I think maybe a mutual friend, um, Brandon Santon, Humans of New York. You know that project? Here we are in New York. I was with him last night in Seattle. And we're all humans. Yep, here we go. <laughs> Check both boxes. Um, I was with Brandon last night in Seattle and Brandon also, like Seth, has a piece in the book and Brandon's story is pretty simple. He... Um, was a bond trader in Chicago, and he had that job because he this was a self described loser and he flunked out of college the first time uh, went back got a degree the degree and a connection to his one friend in Chicago allowed him to get a job and the job was something that he could point at and say "Mom and dad i made it i 'm not a loser and he became obsessed with money and markets, and he put all his energy and time into it until he got fired. And when he got fired, he realized something, that his brain had been so occupied with the market that he'd basically done nothing else. And what he realized more, more than anything was that it was most important to decide, that, that for him, freedom, deciding how to spend his time, this one resource that we all have. It's in radically limited... Um, amounts, and so he was going to move to New York because what he wanted more than anything was to take pictures of total strangers and plot them on a map. That was his ambition, to take 10,000 portraits. So do you think anyone in his life was supportive of that? (laughs) Zero people in his life were supportive of that. In fact, some people that were close to him were really hostile because he moved here with $400 and put a mattress on a floor in a sublet apartment in Brooklyn. And what did he start doing? He started taking pictures every day. And I mentioned to a subset of folks who came in early that his first post had zero likes and one comment, because that is what every first post looks like. And so when you realize that what I I think Brandon is certainly the most prolific and arguably the most well-known photographer on the planet a day okay 30 some odd million people pay attention to his work he's in tens of millions of feeds every day and so if, if impact and he's given away tens of millions of dollars to charity and it he achieved all of that where there anyone in their right mind would say that there was no value in plotting photographs of strangers from New York on a map. And it didn't look like that at first. Of course, it was something a little bit different, and then it evolved. And then one day, a woman said something interesting to him, and she said, he said, oh, you look so great. Can I take your picture? And she said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm wearing all green for a reason because I used to dress in different ways. And then one day, 15 years ago, I had a perfect day, and I wore green that day. <laughs> and so I've worn green ever since.
2: <laughs>
0: and that was his cue that the story Right. was the gem. And so what he does better than anyone else in the world, and we, he, he confessed this on, on stage last night, he calls me all the time. He's like, I got to photograph Obama. Can you help me? I have no fucking idea what I'm doing, Chase. Constantly asking me for, for help. He's not a great photographer. He is a, the most, like I'd say, incisive question asker of all time. You can, I've had him work, like the first time I spent time with him, he put me in the blog and did that thing that he does to everybody else to me. It was like laser beams drilled into my my brain. So he became the best in the world at asking a question, a series of questions, telling a story, pairing it with a photograph. No one in the world would tell you if that was your ambition right now, that you were going to have four number one New York Times bestsellers, make tens of millions of dollars, give tens of millions of dollars away, and be the most prolific, well-known photographer on the planet. No one would tell you that. And how did he get there? Literally taking pictures every day. You know how many days he missed of his first five years? Take a guess. Someone say it. Nice. (laughs) Some days he took more
1: than one picture.
0: Yeah, lots of days. And so I just, you know, let's go back to establish a daily practice. I I, I think we all need to scale our ambitions, our our, our effort with our ambitions, and not everyone's here to leave their career in in banking to go become a photographer. And that's not what the book is about at all. But on the grounds of establishing a daily practice, when someone like Seth has written every day for 11 years, and someone like Brandon has photographed basically his first five years of his career. He didn't take a single day off. No holidays, no Hanukkah, no Christmas, no birthday, no grandfather died, none, zero. Missed nothing. I think that's a very powerful habit, so. um, But you said
1: one thing, just one tiny thing I disagree with.
0: Oh God,
1: I'm just kidding. You said he's not a great photographer. What you meant to say is he's not a technical photographer. He is a great photographer, yeah. and this is the problem that's i I'm so using his
0: words, by the way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't words, yeah. mean you were casting yeah. shade on him, but yeah. this is the problem so many of us have, is right. we misdefine great, yeah. right? Mm. That what does it mean to be a great doctor? Because in the United States, nobody knows the percentage of infections that this appendicitis doctor has versus this appendicitis doctor. Yeah. But we know when you go to see her— you feel like a human and you feel seen, and so the placebo effect kicks in and you get better faster. Yep. So who cares that her scalpel is off by an eighth of an inch? She's a better doctor. Yep. And so that mindset of appropriately defining great mm-hmm. is the key.
0: And I, will, I would love to add to that. Hey, that's brilliant, and thank you for, for uh, flagging that. There's um, the cool thing about Brandon and the cool thing about that doctor and, and about you is the, the experience of being unapologetically you. That to me is the most powerful uh, vehicle that we all have. Love is pretty high up there. Creativity pretty high up there, but being unapologetically that thing. Most, when when I was um, deciding to pursue the calling that I knew was, was very I started to hear it inside of me, and I knew that I wanted to become a photographer for a number of reasons. And my grandfather passed away; I was given his cameras. I had turned away from creativity as a young person, came back to me right in the moment where I was ready to receive it. Um, it, it. Um, I think it's. It's the hardest thing you can do, and it's the easiest thing you can do. And to me, that is a, that paradox is. Um, I just, I don't know how to handle that paradox. I don't know how to coach people through the paradox, other than if you look back, we we can all do this, right? You can look back at your life. Again, I said this not too long ago, whether it's two minutes, two weeks, or two months, or two years ago, there was a moment. Maybe it's constant, maybe you're really good at this, but for most people I find that you have to look backwards to find where the universe was conspiring to help you, where things were happening for you rather than to you. And what what was that like? That to me was a moment where you were unapologetically you. And what can you do to go back to that over and over and over again? To me, that's where our creative muse is. That's where we get all of our source of energy. That's where the best stuff in life is there. And I just, I want to know from you, how how do we, how do we access that on a regular basis?
1: Well, my answer uh, might surprise some people, but I don't use any of those words. I think uh, if you want to be a professional, you choose a version of you to wear when you are doing your work, but there is no such thing as authenticity. The last time we were authentic, we were naked in diapers and pooping, right? And that, ever since then, we've made choices. You didn't feel like going to work, but you went to work. You didn't feel like being nice to the client, but you were nice to the client. There's a version of you that permits you to do your work. The thing is, you were fortunate to be born after the camera was invented. But if you've been born before the camera was invented, your calling would definitely not have been photography, for sure, it is not genetically wired in you. But there are things that go with photography, that you seek out, right? That you have chosen not to be a motivational speaker with 20,000 people in the room every night because that feeling isn't the feeling you're after. You're after a different feeling. So we make a choice, and I think making that choice strategically allows us to not take it personally. And so if you walked up to Dr. Seuss and said, I hated Cat in the Hat, his right answer isn't, oh, that means you hate me because that's an authentic expression of me. It's, oh, I didn't write it for you. The version of me, he even had a fake name, Dr. Seuss. We should all have a fake name because if you don't like fake names work, fine. I'm not fake name. I'm just the person who made it while wearing my Dr. Seuss hat. And so I'm a canoeing instructor up in Canada in every summer, 42 years. I love it. It's one of the highlights of my uh, life. And the kids will come up to me and say, You must really love canoeing. And I'm like, You know, it hurts my knees. It hurts my <laughs> shoulders. I don't actually like canoeing that much. What I like is using it as a tool to change you. That's what I'm here to do. That is my craft. And I just happen to be in this boat doing it. But if they hadn't invented the canoe, I'd be doing it in a different way. So it's a, it's a selection. That's my answer. So when someone says, I have 14 projects, I don't know which one to do, which one is calling to me. Like None of them are calling to you. You need to decide if you want to feel like you are creating utility. You want to decide if you want to feel a feeling, and then it doesn't matter which one you pick. Strategically pick the one that will get you there, and just own it, because that's what it's for.
0: Amazing. But it's a rant, so I might be wrong. No, no, it's cool. Yeah, it's, I, I, I believe a little bit differently. But I think a really useful way to get into material like this is to take a volunteer from the audience, and so let's uh, do it. Yeah, so it's my ambition that someone here would be willing to uh, have us try and help from the stage um, with the block or whatever's going on for you. And um, this
1: young woman here has volunteered. Yep. My
0: yeah, I think this is what sisters do, right? <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, we'll do two. We'll, we'll wait until do... someone actually yeah, volunteers. Yeah, there's somebody else back there. Okay, well, yeah, you with the hand straight up. We're gonna start over here, and then we're gonna go back there. Hi. First of all, tell us who you are. Um, am
2: desk. What's going on? So, my block is I don't know how to write. Okay. But
0: I was a document control
2: specialist. I work for a medical device company, so I read a lot
0: of documents,
2: but when it comes to writing.
1: Would you like to be able to write?
2: Yes, absolutely. And so oh,
1: so, so you so feel well, best selling is a different story. So you're, you're, there's a gap between where you are and where you want to be. And that gap is you think you don't know how to write. I, I, I try and. Do you know how to, do you know how to speak? Like when people go for coffee with you or they meet you at work, do they have any trouble understanding you?
2: Sometimes.
1: Okay. And is there, when they do understand you, do you feel like you're talking to them differently?
2: I think so. Yeah. One is because. Um, I feel like English, although it's, it's not my primary language, um, I'm Filipina, so there's a translation that's being done in my head. Right. In, I mean, even when I dream, I dream in my own language. So when it comes
1: to English, I feel like I don't have the grasp of the language. I believe I'm having absolutely no trouble understanding you. Every single word you're saying, I completely understand. Can we agree that you are capable of... Speaking a bunch of sentences in a row? Of course you are, right? You don't have talker's block. You just have writer's block. So what Isaac Asimov would tell you if he was here is, write down what you just said, and then say something else and write that down. And if you just write down what you say for an hour, what you will end up with is some writing that isn't very good. But it's better than not writing anything. So then you say to yourself, tomorrow I also have to sit down and write whatever I say for an hour. And sooner or later, it might take a week or a month, your subconscious will realize you're not going to give up. And once it realizes you're not going to give up, you'll speak more clearly because you're going to say something. You might as well say something clear because you know you're not allowed to not talk. You have to say something. And Isaac published 400 books. And he published 400 books by just typing Six hours a day. And if it wasn't any good, he just kept typing and just threw out the stuff that wasn't any good.
2: Can I just say something? When I was growing up, my dad would buy analog magazines. Yeah. Yeah. When you said Isaac Asimov, he actually bought me books on Isaac Asimov. Right. He is my favorite.
1: Well, he was a friend of mine at the end of his life. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to him about this. And um, he understood that the only way to have good writing is to have pretty good writing. And you're already on your way because you're a pretty good talker. So just write that down and figure out who needs to hear from you. Because we all don't need to hear from you, but one person might. There might be six things you know about document management control that someone who's a junior document management control, people would like, person would like to learn. Start with that. I wrote computer manuals when I started, right? Because if you can explain to somebody how to turn on a Commodore 64 and put a floppy disk into it, you're one step closer. Speaking my language. Right? <laughs> and so I guess all I'm challenging you on is I think you fell in love with the idea of thinking you're not a very good writer. You fell in love with being a blocked writer. That's a fun place to be. But if you're serious... As of tomorrow, you're not going to be a blocked writer because you're going to write lousy stuff. And then a week from now, it'll be better than lousy. And a month from now, it'll be pretty good.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. Of one of the things that I find so we're, we're going to get your ready. You're just stretching out over there. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think. But one of the things that I have, um, again, the book is, There's. A, I've deconstructed the things that worked for me and the things that didn't, and they're both in there. And I also have the good fortune of spending a lot of time with people like Seth and some of the other world's top performers. You start deconstructing these things and patterns emerge. And this is, you know, I, I love to learn. It's not, it's not an accident that I started a lifelong learning company. And it, the thing, one thing that was so pronounced to me, I'll say in the data because it makes me sound smarter, but you sound
1: like Renee when you say yeah, that.
0: Yeah, totally. In she the data. talks like that all the time. I was yeah, with her a couple weekends ago and she did say in the data about 100 times. Um, one thing that revealed itself in the data um, was this, that you might be 100 hours or 1,000 hours or maybe even, gasp, 10,000 hours away from where you want to be the distance between where you are and where you want to be is a great unstuck writer, but you know how many decisions you are away from that. One. Love that.
2: <laughs>
0: and to me, that is that there is something there, and I don't need to I don't need to ascribe much more than that. But to me, we're here tonight because of we're one decision away. Yep. And we're all hunting for that moment. Where we make the decision, but everything, whatever you did to do, or sorry, whatever you did to become where you are, was just a decision. And it's here's the cool thing that I love is it's always there for you, a hundred percent of the time. It's there for you. You just have to decide. Is that long enough? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Please tell us who you are and and why you're where or why or how you're stuck. It's it's Seth and Chase and team therapy time. No, no, please, sure. So
3: when you were speaking earlier about kind of fighting the feeling of fear, right? Because I yeah. feel like that's constant. For Sorry. me, I guess the block is going back to when I was fearless, because there was a time where that existed. I was open, and vibrant, kind of fearless and following your gut. Okay. And I think that was kind of before different tra- tra- tragedies happened. And then when those happened, then you kind of get this feeling where I don't know, I feel like I have the disease to please. And it's like, well, I want to just, you know, be able to check off boxes and make people happy and kind of follow that path. Okay. But that keeps leading to the university pushing me away. You know, it's like, no, this isn't right. Every yeah. time I get a new position or a new job, no, that's not right. I have to go back to what I was doing okay. and where I felt comfortable. But it's kind of taking that leap and, and fighting that fear and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. That's a challenge. Okay. That's kind of where I want to go. Okay. So, um, on you're
0: looking. You're looking for advice. I'll, for the people in the back, she's stuck. I'm going to use some slightly different words. She's stuck. There was a time when she felt freedom, and then through a, a handful of different traumatic events, um, she uh, was. She she came down with the disease to please. It's her words, not mine. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, and now, when she's trying to please everybody else you're struggling to please yourself. Is that accurate? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm gonna kick it to you, Seth. You start this
1: <laughs> Your answer last time was so good in coaching. So, Angelica, um, do you have a particular uh, craft art practice that you are connected to? I want to
3: connect with people. So, the project that I want to start is talking to different entrepreneurs and creative minds, on a smaller scale, like my right. growth, um, or in my community, and be able to connect them to share their advice and their struggles and kind of what they're
1: doing. And how would you know if you were doing it well? Exactly. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> so
3: that's the question. that When you talked about that before, I'm like, oh my God, he's so right, how would
1: I know? Now these are tactics, these are not emotion. The emotion is to feel generous and seen in a way that doesn't involve uh, a traditional arts and crafts background, right? That, If there are a hundred ways you could do this, but you picked a specific thing that could evoke that feeling for you and make you feel like you're worthy and a contributor. So far, so good? In the podcasting fellowship, hundreds of people show up, and they think they're coming because they don't know how to use a Zoom microphone, which is absurd because that takes two minutes. What they're really there for is it's a huge leap to go from I think I want to have a podcast too, I have a podcast. So the question is, why don't you have a podcast? And the reason you don't have a podcast is because once you have a podcast, you're going to get caught in this hamster wheel of pleasing people because now is it picked on iTunes? How many reviews does it have? How many downloads did it have last week? Who am I going to get as the next guest? How am I going to get Chase to be on my show? How am I going to get even better known? Where will I get a sponsor? Because we live in the Western world, that's what everyone else has told you you need to do to be this kind of creative artist. But that's, none of that is why you signed up. Because if you want to make a good living, keep doing what you're already doing because they're paying you for it. So the question is, why not be an amateur podcaster starting tomorrow? Because you're sitting next to someone you could interview, right? And Exactly, and you can record it on your phone tomorrow. So if you did that, what day is tomorrow? Wednesday? Yep. Then next Wednesday, do you know someone else who would be on your podcast? So after you do that four times, you're allowed to say, I'm a podcaster. It's my hobby. <laughs> so now that you have a hobby as a podcaster, who cares if more than six people are listening to it? That's not what you signed up for. You signed up for to have these conversations. Now you are. So now you can't whine about it anymore. So this is the way to call your bluff. And the last thing I want to say, and then I'm going to throw it back to no, you. That, I've got is to you started with something that, that, that really rubbed me the wrong way, which is you said, I used to feel fearless. I used to be fearless. If you're actually fearless, you're a psychopath. <laughs> because fear is really useful, it keeps us from getting arrested, it keeps us from all these things, right? If you hire a running coach because you want to run a marathon, You don't say to the coach, how do I run the marathon without getting tired? That is just not a question because everyone who finishes a marathon gets tired. What you hire the coach to do is figure out where to put the tired because everyone who finishes figured out where to put the tired and everyone who didn't doesn't know where to put it. What you need to do is not make the fear go away. You just got to figure out where to put it. And if you can just put it in a little box while you're making your weekly amateur podcast, then you can take it out again when you need it. But, Don't try to make it go away, because if you try to make it go away, it will only get stronger.
0: So, I think my my one sentence is that all you have to do in order to be the noun is do the verb. Love that. (gasps) And you can tweet that shit. (laughs) (laughs)
1: But make sure you link to the book, (laughs) now (laughs) on sale.
0: That's good, everyone. I'll tell you a little story. This is confession. So before I had made a dime, not a cent, I was working with my grandfather who had recently passed, gave me his camera. I took it to Europe with my then-girlfriend, now-wife, on money from his death and managed to, over the course of six months, using film painstakingly by writing every exposure down and then developing my Eating like tuna fish and beans. I'm sorry about that whole part of our life, Kate. <laughs> yeah. Develop the film and then compare what came back with, okay, frame number one, f/8, 250, cloudy. The Vatican looks great. The next, so very, very slow and painful. And my um, where, so this starting to desire just a little bit that maybe this is a thing that I could do was very hard for me, I was full of fear and I'm not generally a fearful person and I was terrified of this and I was terrified of all of the labels and you know, the very first thing I did when I started feeling fear of the label, I made myself a card and it was a business card that I never handed out to a single person (laughs) and on it said, Chase Jarvis, professional photographer with my phone number and that card obviously didn't get me a dollars worth of work but it did more work than any amount of money ever could because the most important words that we can say are the ones we say to ourselves and when you're telling yourself that you can't or that you're not the amateur that you ought to be or that you can't get started because x y and z whether you think you can or can't you're right someone really was that, that one you yeah.
1: can't tweet cuz yeah. you stole that
0: one yeah yeah <laughs> But the point is that the, these words matter. And when I've listened to, like, I, I love, like, to me, this is my favorite thing. I can do this for 10 hours. It's I just hear it. It's so simple. It's so on the nose for so many people that the words that we say to ourselves are the wrong words. And mindset is the foundation of, like, of basically of all of this stuff. And I go back to something we were talking about earlier, and I understand why it's really hard because... If your mindset is so important and you're getting these inputs that you should be, look, you should look like this, act like this, your artwork should be like this, or heaven forbid you shouldn't make art because it's impractical and naive and all these other things, it's really, it's understandable why in our culture we don't celebrate a lot of things that we should and we celebrate things that are crazy.
1: Do you have imposter syndrome in the book?
0: I do. Um,
1: So I have a riff about imposter syndrome. Do it. How many of you do, you, do you know what imposter syndrome is? Everybody has? Yes. How many of you feel like an imposter? How many of you are such an imposter you can't even raise your hand when I say <laughs> So people say I have imposter syndrome. Women say it particularly afflicts women. Um, men say they have it too. And so everyone has imposter syndrome. How do I make imposter syndrome go away, they say. My answer surprises people, which is, of course you're an imposter because you are making an assertion about the future that you cannot possibly know is true, that your work will touch someone else, that your effort will somehow pay off, that you see something others don't see. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but in the act of asserting it, damn straight, you're an imposter. So if you don't feel like an imposter, I don't think you're working hard enough. Ouch. (laughs)
0: I'm going to shift gears yet again. And I'm going to go to some questions, some question and answer. I'm going to go all the way to the back. You could, I think uh, there are two people. I'm Unless take... you
1: want us to make you feel badly with therapy because yeah, it's up yeah. to you.
0: I thought, was it, are you, is that Babin? Is that you? I can't see. Stand up if, you're, if you want your shit scrutinized. <laughs> we could turn the house up just a
1: little. That would be good too.
2: Quick question. Listening, trying to... Imagine doing some of the things that, like maybe one day I want to do. I keep thinking back to the story of your friend who wrote the book for two years. Right? That's, the, that's, that's the part you're to get. What if you want to do something? You want to have this feeling. You want to be a professional photographer, but you know, it's like wasted energy?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, see, the thing is, he didn't adequately define. He quit a job as a $300,000 a year lawyer to make this book. And he thought that that act was sufficient to make him the next Scott Turow because it had worked for Scott Turow. And so it leaves the realm of art and enters the realm of marketing strategy, which is why I didn't want to talk to you about best-selling books because that's a whole other seminar. We're not talking about how do you do marketing strategy. We're talking about how do you choose... To follow your creative calling because you want to touch someone. So if he had started by saying, in my spare time, I will write, I will turn off the television, I will write, and I will keep writing until five people who read this without knowing who I am are touched by it, even in the smallest way. That is sufficient, right? then he would be on the path of the artist. But if you say, I am not successful until Hollis somehow finds me, pulls me out of obscurity, gives me a $2 million advance and puts me on the cover of the New York Times book review, then you're being a fool and that's not what we're here to talk about. Right? And so the the art here, the craft of it is to trust yourself enough to be generous by expressing yourself to the smallest viable audience with the smallest possible project and then doing it again and you came because you've heard of us but we would still be artists if you had never heard of us because i didn't set out to do this so i could sell a bunch of books and i don't think you set out to do this so you could have hundreds of employees it's just we got lucky that's the lucky part you show up enough and your strategy is good you might get lucky but you have to protect against the downside black rice beans you know lower your costs but that's not this this is here, I made this. And until you are ready to say, here, I made this, as opposed to, I'm planning, then you're hiding. And so a lot of people who are asking us stuff don't really want us to solve your problem because it's more fun to say, I'm still planning.
0: Yep, I'm gonna go because, yeah, that's you. You wanna just be like this? Yep, that's you. Hi, Hi, how are you? Good, so. Um, this is Gina Hadley, everyone. Hi, Gina. Hi, Gina. <laughs>
4: So I do something every day that is my passion, as you know, and I'm told we're doing a really good job, and things are going, and I'm so fucking
0: tired. (laughs) So
4: how do I keep going when I'm doing what I know I'm supposed to do, and I can see it right there, I've got the right team around me, but I'm tired. Espresso and, and two kids and getting,
1: yeah. col- getting a kid into college. Yeah. You know what a pain in the ass he
5: is. Yeah. And it's like, but I know that I'm supposed to be doing it. Where do I find like the next
1: bump that is not black tar heroin? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't scale either. You <laughs> think <laughs> Would you be less tired if you were more successful?
5: No, I'd be more tired.
1: Okay, so. You're running a marathon and you're tired, congratulations. I'm completely exhausted. (laughs) I am. Taylor, who I work with, said to me yesterday, you have a bunch of spark in your step today. And I realized there are a lot of days I show up at work and I'm tired. And that's exactly what I signed up for. I wish I could reassure you, I can't.
0: I know one thing, and that is that when you're doing what you love, and you've done that test, like, do I love it? Is it working? And it's working just enough to keep you going. That small wins help. And what I find is that when we have ambitions that, that we cast way far out ahead of where we are right now, it's, a, it's not an unnatural thing. I understand that. I'm, I get to spend a lot of time around really ambitious people, and I like that. I find, and this is this is basically medication for not being tired. It's go back to the sort of the, the self talk and the self care. There's some really tactical stuff in the book that I think will help you, because what you, what you're saying to yourself every day is not helping. You're saying that you're tired. That is not what Kobe Bryant says when he steps on the court, right? No, you
1: get to do it. You don't have to
0: do it. Right, and 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 I just want to acknowledge that. I'm super tired. I went into the book tour super tired because of busting my ass on the book. And yet this is the most like I am pumped right now because all I needed was just a little bit of juice. And then your brain rewires itself and your dopamine and your rewards are slightly different. And so what I find when I'm, this is just like my own re- my own recipe that I'm sharing here very publicly, is that when I find when I'm just crushed, of course you need to take care of yourself and there's a, like the self-care routine, but set slightly different like ways to reward yourself, slightly different ambitions that are smaller and are bite size and are things that um, that aren't the compare schlager, to use my friend Marie Forleo's term, <laughs> If you don't know Goldslager is the worst alcohol on the planet <laughs> Compare slager is the comparative version that we do to ourselves and others you can tweet that one too. yeah that's you know, got to give that to, to Marie but I just just Gina just just tweak your um, the, the goal or tweak the vision down a few notches because when you're when' it, you're, you're celebrating like the way that I also think about it is you're at one part of the journey, and where you need to be baking scones on Sunday, and you're, you're trying to envision the restaurant with the fully functioning staff and all of the everything working and, and all pistons go. And what I want you to think about is hosting brunch next Sunday. Love that. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna go. You really want it bad, don't you?
6: <laughs> I just don't wanna be missed out. Okay. <laughs> do, do you know who I am? You inspired me to uh, drive up here.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead and tell the story.
6: I'm, I'm Jeff the Entrepreneur. I jumped in his life while I'm learning the sales, uh, sales fun. My, my story, I found my passion. I'm in the midst of pursuing my dreams because of guys like him. Um, so, Creative Live, I was told my whole life, you know, I wasn't creative enough. And uh, it wasn't until two years ago, actually, three years ago now, I went to wake up my older brother. Uh, it made him have a dream to build a coffee shop music studio. It was just the idea, it was fictitious. He married the Playboy model. She left him for a multimillionaire. I moved up here to live with me. We, yeah, he's like, he, he was a cool guy, he, you know, did all the stuff, got in fights. I was wanted to be like, the oh, I got pulled out. So I'm a little where I was homeschooled. So I, he pulled me out, They pulled me out of school. And uh, I'm really nervous right now. But anyway, so I'm shaking. I'll get better. But anyway, long story short, me and him had this dream to kind of make more money than who she left the money for, which was the wrong motive at the time. <laughs> <laughs> because he was worth like $74 million. So we decided to do a coffee shop music video. which if anybody knows business, coffee shop restaurant industry, there's not a lot of money in that industry, okay? But we made the dream. Two days after we made the dream, I went to wake up and we died of uh, drugs, fentanyl. So when that happened in that moment in life, um, I found a video by Grant Cardone on depression, which led me to chase startups. Grant got me juiced up on the money thing, and I realized, hey, let me—I quit teaching. Um, and, and, and I started uh, following my dream to learn about business. So whatever business or whatever you're doing, you are yourself as a business, like an entrepreneur, right? So right now I'm in the process of learning the sales funnel of a business. I worked for a local multimillionaire here and in Connecticut. I drove <laughs> from Connecticut. I drove on wrong way streets to get here. New York's crazy, but anyway, I got here. I'm here now. And my biggest question is: is being caught up in that? Yeah. Um, and Gary V speaks about it, and you do too, self-aware. Like yeah. right now, I'm learning just the funnel of how to close sales now, I, I'm, I'm horrible at that. I'm good at marketing, I'm marketing myself right now. You know, my dreams keep me awake, I feel like I never get tired right now, yeah. but always sleep when you're tired and then wake up. My dreams wake me up too, you know, but that's a little story. I know I have a lot of energy and I know you're really- fun.
0: Man, look at here. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, I'm, I, I, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna say it, like I'm impressed. You fucking showed up tonight, okay? And I'll just give you a little backstory. Like he he, you know, you you're when people you got forty people want to jump in your Instagram feed and you pick one and you pick a guy named Jeff the Entrepreneur. <laughs> okay, Jeff the Entrepreneur comes up, tells me about his brother, and he's telling me how much money he's gonna make. And I'm like, bro, I like going about this the wrong way. You're chasing money, I'm gonna tell you, when shit gets hard, and it will, probably in the next two weeks, you're gonna be on to the next thing because money is not the thing. And you like money is a tool, but it's not really who you are. And I gave him four or five pieces of advice, and he said, "Well, what should I do?" And I said, "You should start putting yourself around people that you want to be around. You should start. You should start. That's thing one, okay? And thing two, you start being willing to learn from from people who are happy to help. And so, and I don't even know where." You, I, when I'm, I'm looking at you, Jeff, the entrepreneur, I don't know where you live, and, you say, and and I say, I challenge you to come to New York. This is how many days ago?
6: Yesterday.
0: There you go. But he okay. took a plane, you drove. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm just telling you right now, man, thank you for sharing your story. I'm super, super sorry about your brother. That is, like, no words but that you are here and that you will be here tomorrow and then the next day and the next day is what matters. So shout out to you, man. My
6: question is in this right now, it's <laughs> how you become self-aware of like you, you check for like I know you lost your grandfather, I know a lot of different things that happened sure. to you in the time that kind of get it. Yeah. When you start having success, like I have success, I have, I have money where I could, I could quit working for Joe and audio sure. if I wanted to and do my own thing, but I don't know how to close and I, he told me he's going to teach me that. We hired sure. another guy to teach me how to close man Sure. You know, and that's that's what we're really
0: looking at. You okay. Know? I, I, I'm, I'm not worried about you figuring out how to close. Neither am I. And just so you know, that's not what's self that you're not learning self-awareness skills when you learn how to close. Okay. Honestly, go back to step one, which is, yourself around people that love you and that you love and that you aspire to be more like and more connected to and repeat. Okay. That, and the people that you are around that, that have a similar uh, desire for connection, you, if you can start to be like, that's where you're going to develop your self-awareness yeah. is when you're around other people that are trying to do the same thing as you and you can help one another. That's all a community is. There's two types of community. One, communities that you join huge section to me. I think community is the one, probably the most misunderstood aspect of success in life. It doesn't matter if you identify as a creator or an entrepreneur. And so there are two kinds of communities. One, that you join and you do this first. (laughs) You start joining a community of, I I, I would recommend you get away from the sales closing thing, but just whatever the thing is.
6: It's
0: It's cool. It doesn't matter. Just start joining communities. And then the other one is a community that you're going to build around your work. And somewhere in between there is self-awareness because you can't actually really meaningfully build a a community around your work without being self-aware. So start with the thing that you're doing right now, which is show up where other people who have a similar level of ambition and desire to connect and find who they are and do that work. So you're halfway there, okay? Thanks, Jeff. Good job, bud. Um, My
5: name is Henry Pierre and I'm a, well, I'm finishing my career as a marketer. And I actually have to thank Seth Cotton for um, my success. Uh, about f- five years ago, I was coming out of Penn Station and someone had, had insulted me and said, no one, no one will ever believe that you're successful wearing a dragon on your shoulder. So I was like, OK, ugh. so I was walking up the staircase and I said, Show me a sign that this is going to work. All of a sudden, I hear Seth Cotton, it's like, um, Cold Dragon. And he's behind me. Oh. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh, this was, and I didn't, I was like, this can't be happening. And I, and I said, Seth, he was in shock. And he, I think he probably guessed I would know who he was. And then I met him again, supposedly two years ago, Seth, at the New York Public Library, and he told me to go after a visionaries for my business. Well, guys, now I'm friends with Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, because of this dragon. Hmm.
3: Okay.
5: Yeah. watching both of your work has been, the vulnerability thing was a real big one for me. And you, know, to, you know, to, I'm not bragging when I say this, but my first job when I came to New York was I was a lowly bookseller at Barnes & Noble. But what I learned at Barnes & Noble was my friends in the PR department. So every month I get the kind of calendar of who's coming to speak. Well, today I got to meet Whoopi Goldberg. Amazing. And what happened was, I met Whoopi two years ago and she said, Cool dragon, how fun. I said, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Well, and I was
0: oh, I see a pattern here.
5: <laughs> and I was like I was like, yo oh, no, yeah, hi and she said, Can I offer you a suggestion? I said, sure. Can you make it a little bit more strange? I'm <laughs> <laughs> here guys.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Thank you for showing up, man. I appreciate it. All the way to the back on the wall on the way back. You in the light there's one person right behind you in the shadows. I see you.
6: <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Grant Savotier. Um, I'm an author. I had a best selling book that came out this year, and it just blew me away, and I think it blew a lot of people away. I'm good friends with David Bach, who's a friend of yours, of course. Chris Gillibo,
4: Renee Brown's editors, my other. That's not the point of the question. Um, all I wanted to do is kind of share my story and my ideas from the world. I didn't expect
6: the Personal recognition that came with it, and I'm having a hard time feeling having such a large audience and
0: platform that I didn't do this for. And so, getting recognized here or in the airport or
6: being on TV, all these things, um, is a whole level of creativity
4: that I just,
6: and I guess I could say I'm struggling with. It's a great problem to have, but can you talk a little bit about how? how do you create that distance when you have a platform and the your platform starts to expect so much from you? Yeah. Um, I'd love
1: your thoughts on that. that? Uh, well, first, congratulations on being able to get your work into the world the way you saw it. That's fantastic. I think that what you're hearing from yourself is a hugely important, honest warning sign for you because there's this seduction that social media has created. Because it used to be Carol Burnett, Alan Alda, and 12 other people had this problem, but now anybody with a 1,000 Twitter followers is a celebrity to a 1,000 people. If it's gonna suck your energy out, you have to walk away from it. And there's lots and lots of ways to walk away from it. You don't have to be J.D. Salinger to walk away from it. But what you have to figure out is what promise do you seek to make? So Liz Gilbert, when she wrote the book after Eat, Pray, Love, spent a year of her life writing it, had the whole typewritten thing, went to the copy shop to make the final copy to FedEx to the publisher, and threw it in the trash. Because she realized she had written it for fans of Eat, Pray, Love. She hadn't written it for the people she sought to serve. And her fans from that book, which is one of the best-selling books of its kind ever, were disappointed by the book she actually came out with. And I've been disappointed by books after that and after that because Elizabeth doesn't work for them. And that, I give her so many points for being brave enough to do that. And in our culture of how many followers do you have and how many weeks did you spend on this list or that list, it takes a lot of guts to say that's not my craft, that's not my work. But you need to say it. Draw a line and stop revisiting it because every minute you revisit it is a minute you're not doing your work. So get back to work, and if the people don't like the next thing you do, that's their problem, not yours.
0: Amazing. <laughs> you good, sir?
4: My name is Jordan. I have a nonprofit that helps transitioning Navy SEALs and have special operators to get jobs. That's great. I'm wondering if. Uh, <laughs> You know, we've had 200 people get jobs, 700 members, a million dollars of donations. Um, but one of the things we still struggle with three years later is um, how do you get them to tell their story and get, where do you start? Um, I fell into this uh, three years still making the same mistakes in terms of giving advice to them. Yep. We have an event coming up next month here. And so they do the same problem. So my question is, have you worked with uh, either veterans at... Yeah. Or people in a similar thing where they just are really uncomfortable telling the story.
0: Yeah. I've done work with veterans that, at a Monterey, people that are just about to go into um, into the workforce on their way out of the military. It's frightening. It's frightening. The the skill that they do have and their their the how because the, they're wildly skilled at a very narrow set of skills and the coaching that the military gives them in order to 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 get them back into the workforce, I it was, it was frightening how the gap in what they really need and what they're getting. So, how many people in your organization? How many people do you serve?
4: Um, we have 720 members, and you know, daily active on Slack is around 150. Okay. Um, in New York, for example, we have 40 guys coming in, sponsored by the Navy SEAL Foundation, and it's two days back to back. Guys, it. you know what we found is that it's less about this is the industry you should go in yeah. and it's more about you don't know how to tell your story. Yeah. You guys don't know how to tell your story and the business, on the business side, if they don't understand what you did. Sure. Yeah. You create one navy You for three <laughs> million dollars. Right. How do you convey that? All right. Um,
0: I got two things. One, come see me afterwards. We'll talk about creative live. Maybe there's a way for us to get 10,000 hours of amazing content into the hands of these people. So I think that will be a good jumpstart. Um think two is, and I'm, um, to me, one of the most important parts of the book is I've, I've grouped it into four steps, which is basically a creative process that you can do to bake a cake or to design your life. And it's structured like this, I-D-E-A. I is for imagine, D for design, E for execute, and A for amplify. Uh, just I'm going to rip through them real quick here. So part of where we're broken as a culture is imagine. Because what we do is we imagine, and our imagination is constrained by shoulds and woulds and oughts and coulds and musts and mortgages and partners and all of those things. And so I want you to know and that my, my belief is that the men and women that you're serving who have served for our country, they have even less of a thing than we have not enough of as a culture. So that's a they're very deficient in that. I think the book can be helpful, so I want I want you to read it and I think there's really honestly very good shit about how to dream. The second one is design. The, you know, that's like you're basically designing a set of strategies. The third one is execute. I don't want to spend too much time on this. It's just doing the work. And the fourth one is amplify. So the what you're providing for them, amplify is all about community, the communities that you join and the communities that you build around your work. Those two pieces are Again, I think all of these pieces are really critical, and if you if you ditch any one of them, then you're going to struggle with success. And deconstructing my own successes, the successes of the people I find the most impressive and joyful, happy, fulfilled people, this is the system that they all, and all of the successes they've had, have been built on. So to me, you've got really serious issues around imagining and amplifying, and to, like my recommendation is that you focus on those two areas. Like that's why I just immediately went to Creative Live in part because that's something that I can control. But this community part that you're building is critical. And the what I find is incestuous communities that just if military people talk to other military people about the problems they're having getting out of the military, you can see that why well, this is a real issue. And so I, I I can't be overly prescriptive in, you know, five minutes here, but I, I can it's obvious to me where there's some real issues that you all need, that your program, I'm I'm basically trying to to help you think about programming to help these people is really imagining what's possible. When I I went to Monterey most recently to help these folks, their understanding of what was possible for their lives was so, so tragically narrow. It was amazing. And when you think about the military, that's part of, you know, that is part of like shrink the possibilities so that you can hit the target. And it's understandable when we train men and women to do that, that they would experience that in life. So to me, that's an area of focus. And the other one is this community part. Because when you're in a community that's forced on you basically, which is another thing that the military is, it's forced community, you don't get to choose if you, go to, you know, go to battle with this guy or this gal. You're just like, these are your people. And now all of a sudden they have a chance to choose these things. They're really, really good at designing a strategy. I'm gonna take this, this, and I'm gonna go here, and I'm gonna do this thing with this bridge, and they're very good at executing. But the parts that I bookend this, this imagination part and amplifying, are where I would like you to focus some of your work. I can't give you more than that, but I know Seth can.
1: Well, I'm gonna generalize it a little bit, which is, so a few blocks from here is a Subway sandwich shop franchise. And if you wanna order a, a veggie sub, you should not be original when you go there. You should walk in, and ordered it exactly the way the person before you ordered it. That's the best way to get a veggie sub. You shouldn't try to pay with Canadian money. You should pay with American money. No points for being original. We have confused ourselves about which part of this journey needs to be original. The answer is almost none of it. And so we get all happily original about stuff where originality pays no benefits, where we should fit in all the way because it lets us hide from the place where originality is essential, the part of, I made this. So I'm not sure every one of these SEALs needs a different story. I think an ideal general story that they learn how to do on command is a great place to start because now there's not a decision about it and this is the one that will get you the veggie sub, right? Here this is how we do it. And we'll all practice as he was good at it and then we'll come back and make it each a little bit Enough different because it's that last level of originality. So, when I was starting in the book business, my uh, the year where I learned so much and got all those rejections, my proposals were original. They were typeset, they came with spreadsheets. I could prove that my books were better. And I met this guy named um, John Boswell. And John Boswell did French for Cats and OJ Simpson's Legal Pad, both of which sold millions of copies. And he was very profane. Um, And he just swore at me for 15 (coughs) minutes when he saw my stuff. He said, let me show you how it's done. And he was word processing his proposals and then handing them to his secretary who was typing them on an old fashioned typewriter with typos and everything and no spreadsheets because he was doing it the way it was done. And my originality was getting in the way. I was proving how smart I was instead of showing that I was aware. And so you got to figure out which parts of your life which parts of your story, which parts of your path should be exactly the same as everybody else's so that you can focus on the scary part, which is, but in this way, I am different. In this way, I made this. But first, got to learn the genre.
0: Amazing, three more really quick. And yes, you, back in the light that I skipped and went to the gentleman behind you, yeah, that's you, say who you are, and then we're going to go right in front of you to you in the glasses, okay?
2: Um, but thank you both, uh, Chase, you got me into online education and said you've been a guide for many years. So thank you. Thank you.
0: Um,
2: I'm a musician. I musician and I trained at a young age. Uh, and that's very much my identity. I still am a performer and I love it. But I got uh, good in online education and I love learning about business now. And that's sort of taken over my life. Um, and I wanted to ask if you have any experience with a shift in identity and uh, how you found balance? I, I don't want to give it up. It's not some cost. You know, it's it's
1: it's still who I am, and it's actually what brings me the most joy. But I also love what I'm doing now. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a key thing in your book.
0: Yeah, your shift. Mm-hmm. Talk about no, it. Go. No, it's awkward if I talk about mom. No, it's but. not. <laughs> Ident- words matter a lot. That's why early on in the book I talk about. I don't care if you're a computer scientist or a microbiologist or whatever, there's creativity inside of every person. You use it every day at work. You, you make a thousand decisions that are creative decisions every day that you're not even aware of. So let's become aware of them and let's call ourselves a creator. So words matter. I, am, I have the same thing with photography that you have as a musician. And why I don't not identify as a photographer, I always will. I wanna be able to be lots of other things. And I think that's very, very natural. Part of the question that I had, uh, like a a follow-up question is why, um, and I think I can only ask this because I've struggled with it myself, like why do you feel that being more than one thing is bad or that you need to fit into a box because you know, the subway thing.
2: <laughs> it's, it's not that, uh, I don't have a problem with multiple things, it's just the practicality of, I have a concerts on a the weekend, I just started Kram's day, and not cram as a musician. A musician. So it's yeah. like, it does suffer. Yeah. And I need a small team now, that just takes up so much of my time and energy, and I just, I, it's not as good as I know it could be. I like,
0: perform. Like, just cut right to it. Like, what do you want to do? Because I'm confused. <laughs> What do you want to do? Uh, I
2: mean I love it. it's what I do is online education and music, so it's a it's a nice pairing.
6: But, right. Uh, and I want
1: to keep exploring. Who wants to be successful? Right. That's where the identity thing is a problem. Yeah. We're the luckiest uh, billion people in the history of mankind. We're sitting in an air-conditioned space, not fearing for our lives, healthy, and fortunate enough to not have to work 18 hours to put food on the table. We are allowed to have hobbies. That's insane that we're allowed to have hobbies. Okay, but since we're allowed to have hobbies, let's embrace the fact that we can have hobbies. And if you've got a hobby, don't wreck it by trying to make it your living unless you're one of the lucky few who can actually get paid for doing their hobby. If you're going to do work as a professional you should own it. You should take it personally because you made it. But it's not the identity that comes with your hobby. So no, you will never be as good at the cello as Yo-Yo Ma because Yo-Yo Ma has been blessed by resources that let him practice more than you and gets to spend more time with musicians that are the best in the world. Don't compare yourself to Yo-Yo Ma but realize that when you're playing your music, you get to play your music. What a privilege. And then if you want to be an online education, it doesn't have to be about music because your goal is not to show that you're also a musician. Your goal is to help people. And if music helps you help people, do that. But if you can help people a different way, do that. But you will be successful when you have the empathy to realize they don't know what you know, they don't want what you want, they don't have what you have, but you can turn on a light for them. It can be your vocation. It can be your profession. But it doesn't have to be... The details of it aren't your identity. Your identity is when you get woken up in the middle of the night and choose to be whoever you want to be in that moment, regardless of what the market wants, you've chosen to be a musician who's finding joy in the spaces between the notes. You can have that if you want. We're lucky enough. We get to have that. But there's also nothing wrong with being an insurance actuary, one of the greatest composers of the 20th century was an insurance actuary while he was writing uh, his work. And so, I'm, Liz Gilbert taught me this. It's a huge, huge game changer for me that it's okay to not be professional at the thing that I want to do right now as my hobby.
0: I want to share another, thank you for the question. I, I, uh, I want to share another thing about Liz Gilbert. Um, I was with her not too long ago and she said something that really resonated with me, and it was this. My primary job is taking care of myself. My mental health, my physical health, my primary job, I do it approximately six hours a day. And in my other time, I'm a writer. And when you realize, right now I think there's a lot of people who are saying, yeah, but I got kids and a mortgage and I got all these things, and all those things can be true, and you can still take care of yourself. We're telling ourselves a story that we can't take care of ourselves, and I think that's a really like that worries me more than most because I've also am very susceptible to it. And I uh, just to have Liz put it so sharply that she's one of the best writers of our time, and she sees her primary occupation as taking care of herself. And if you think that because you work 12 hours and have two kids and all those things that we all have that you don't have Um, what it takes to take care of yourself then what have you got? Right? What have you got if you don't have what it takes to take care of yourself? Okay, we're going to do two more questions and then we're going to put a little wrapper on this thing and then I'm going to sign books and Seth gets to go home. Actually, I have to catch a plane. Oh, tonight? No, but it's at the airport so it's on the way to catching a plane. (laughs) I didn't get that, but we're just gonna keep moving on. <laughs> but two questions now before Seth goes, so I'm gonna probably over-index on Seth. And there are two two folks that, actually, there's, we're gonna do three because there are three women in a row, bam, 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 right here, that I'd love to hear from. So, yes, ma'am, with the glasses, please. Yep. Hi, Hi. stand up and tell us who you are. Hi. Hi, I'm a
2: graphic designer. I feel like I experienced both sides of graphic design doing my own thing. In an agency. Yeah. So I spent four years doing my ethnic side, it was doing really well, and I finally quit my job. Two months after that, I was offered an amazing position, and I took it. But now, ever since I've been going back, revisiting, oh, how about I do my
5: freelance job, my freelance gig, mm-hmm. and
2: now I do the agency? I keep going back and forth, which, what is my greatest problem? I just do not And I
1: love both. Like,
0: you really think you love both equally, or is that a story you've told yourself? a <laughs>
1: story. <laughs> Are you proud of the work you do at the agency? I am very proud. Do you like chasing clients so you can get I better clients? I don't
5: have to chase the clients.
2: Really? When
1: you're a freelancer, I mean. I'm a
2: creative director, so...
1: No, but on the other side, when you're freelancing. why do you Right. So is there a line out the door for that, or do you have to... I have to chase them, and I don't do like that. No. Well, then you just answered your question, because... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Because the thing is, a freelancer is someone who hires themselves to do work, and the way they're able to hire themselves to do work is by getting better clients. So a huge part of your job is getting better clients. If that's not fun, let someone else do that job. Pay them to do it. That's what you do at the agency.
0: Yeah. So we're we're proud of you. It's great. Made a good decision tonight. (laughs) And yes, please. I
3: have actually a question about writing, and. Um, talking about Liz Gilbert, she's all about um, even for nonfiction. She's all about telling stories and just follow your fascination. Um, but I'd love to hear from both of you in your experience of writing nonfiction of uh, books that help people in certain ways. How do you? How do you do both? Um, follow your fascination and your inspiration and to make it relevant, find ways to make it relevant for a group of people? Or do you need to care about
1: that at all? Well, my discipline is to become fascinated by things that I think will be relevant. That I'm here to serve people with the work. Otherwise, I would just write it in my journal and not share it with anybody. So if you start with the fact that almost no one wants to read a book and that the people who do want to read the book will only read it because they're enrolled in trying to get somewhere, whether that's you know the satisfaction of reading a novel or the achievement of learning something in a nonfiction book. Who are those people? There aren't very many of them. What do they need to hear? What change am I seeking to make? Can I help make that change by telling a story? Can I help make that change by experiencing something? If I can experience it and I believe I'm going to be able to turn lights on for someone else. I tend to find that fascinating. And what you will find is if you go out drinking with people who are busy telling you stories that you don't find interesting, you don't find those people interesting and you don't want to spend any time with them. They don't have discipline. They're just telling you stories that happened to them because they happened to them. What you find interesting are people who are telling you stories that are ultimately about you, that turn on a light for you. And so that's the discipline of being a professional at this. So I guarantee you that Liz has 500 things that she's fascinated by, but she only wrote books about three of them because she whittled them down to things that you felt would be about you.
0: I have a slightly different, a slight twist on that, which is I think we're always looking for things that are out there in the world. And there's one thing that you know a lot about, which is your own experiences. And as artists, I feel like what we do a good job of imitating others, and I think imitating is a part of learning, and I like deconstructing the work of other people, emulating that, um, analyze what's working for for me uh, in their work, and then repeating, it's through the repetition that we get good at being ourselves. Yep. And so, to me, there's a piece of you that you know something it's less about utility in the world because I tend to think of the idea first and want to do it and then the best ideas, the market will come around at the time when I at least expect it. I don't it. think that's true. I know, this is oh where we differ.
1: No, I don't think that's what you do.
0: Really? Yeah. I, I, I can tell I you, that you I- I think you were
1: doing subconscious pre-filtering.
0: <laughs> I'm so good at the thing I don't even know how to say. <laughs> I don't even... There's a whole, like you could say, I'm gonna
1: spend a year playing racquetball but there's a voice in your head that says, no. And you don't analyze it with an MBA mindset, but you rejected the racquetball notion because you know it's stupid. And the notions that are are left are the ones that come from your context awareness of saying, I've been in this space. I know what my students resonate with. And so that pre-filtering only puts valid things to the fore. Whereas if your goal was to hide, you'd be nominating bad things because you knew they weren't going to work. But your goal isn't to hide. Your goal is to help.
0: Got it. I think that your ability to pre-folk, what was it?
1: I don't remember. Subconscious pre-filtering.
0: Subconscious pre-filter. If you trust that, there's things that you know a lot about that you know are valuable in the world. And it's, it's, it's resonantly you. And that you know, for example, how you add value in the world. So over indexing on those things, whether it's person like you know, personal story, it's a it's a nonfiction book. And if you tell stories about your life that unpack that for people, I think that's the key, that's your gift. So focus there. And then yeah, I stand up and Bad and cleanup. Your- Bad and cleanup in the third row.
5: <laughs> um- so I've been following. I'm sure Steve, I've been following you guys for a long time, and one thing that I love about both of you is that you guys ask really good questions. So is that a skill, or is it like natural for you to
0: ask, right? Well, now? that's the thing about skills, right? You work on them and then become natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask more questions. Yeah, ask a lot more questions. <laughs> and you you started tonight, which is good. But I I think. Um, I loved the conversation that you guys were having earlier about podcasting and about just having conversations with people. To become a professional conversationalist is a little bit of a weird ambition, but to seek to connect with other people that know something that you're interested in, I think is that's where, that is literally why my podcast exists. I unabashedly set out to bring people who I was interested in and just basically televised the thing because I knew that that was a way that I could help my community because I knew they, from being in the community, realized that it was photographers, coaching photographers how to be photographers and that if we could bring in someone like Richard Branson or Brene Brown that we might be able to learn something and I, I, I selfishly did that and just practiced asking questions that I genuinely wanted to know the answer to just so happens that when you generally, genuinely want to know the answer to something, there's a million other people who want to know the same thing. In the particular lies the universal. If you, whatever questions you want answered tonight, tomorrow with your friends, when you start your podcast, there's a million other people who have the same question that you have in that context. Okay, so, okay, I'll go one more. I can't resist. I can't resist, just like, just a zipper of women, just zoom, right here. It's amazing.
6: Okay.
2: And I would
3: like
1: to know whether you have a life
0: motto and how do you phrase a life motto, like life statement, main mm-hmm. motto. M O T T O. A life motto. Hmm. You got something?
1: Well, the one I say the most is "Go make a ruckus." Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. See ya. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The number one one thing you can do to pay it forward for what this guy has put into his work and his book is not read his book, but get three people you know to read his book because that's how books spread. Tell people you care about
0: All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things.